0: You're listening to the Strong Mind Podcast, and this is your host, Hazel Findlay. In this episode, I speak with Jeff Sharmo. Jeff Sharmo is a kind of spiritual teacher of a kind, uh, an educator, trainer, coach. And this is definitely one of the more philosophical conversations that we've had, And I urge you not to be put off by that if you're one of those people that's a little bit, has a bit of a phobia to kind of spiritual woo-woo language. You might not be familiar with some of the things that we're talking about in the podcast and and the way that we talk about the mind, for example. But go into it with an open mind because you might see that we are still kind of making sense. And I urge Jeff to clarify some of the concepts that he's talking about. The main thing that we focus on is this concept of spontaneity. And in order to talk about what spontaneity and flow state actually mean, we sort of have to inquire into the like, natural tendencies of the human mind. And those tendencies are kind of like to be in this sort of state of, of constant narration. Uh, if any of you have done any meditation, you might notice that when you sit down and close your eyes, it's really hard to kind of switch off some of those thoughts. And there's that sort of nattering. <laughs> these thoughts kind of come up and you can't really control them. They just kind of appear But there's this tendency to control and this tendency to like certain thoughts and dislike other thoughts. And there's like this sort of back and forth conversation happening in your own mind that if someone were to be able to read your thoughts in that moment or that your thoughts were kind of put on a loudspeaker, it would kind of seem like you'd maybe lost hold of your sanity or something. And with some of those thinking patterns and like our sense of identity and our social sense of self, there comes with it a kind of self-sabotage or as Jeff puts it, getting in your own way. There's this kind of, there's just this kind of sense of self-editing. And you might have heard of this phrase of like the PR version of yourself. And it kind of prevents us from being spontaneous and kind of free and feeling alive and this is the idea that Jeff's really interested in and it's not necessarily something I've thought loads about so it was really kind of a sort of new and enlightening conversation in many ways for me Um, but there was also you know some tricky ideas and concepts in there and I think if you haven't inquired much into the workings of your own mind some of it might feel a little bit wacky but it also might inspire you to be more curious about the workings of your own mind because that i certainly didn't necessarily get interested in these ideas despite having studied philosophy at university for 3 years until i went on my first meditation retreat and i had to actually sit with my own mind for 10 days 11 hours of the day and um it was really kind of a huge wake up for me to be like wow there's there's a lot going on in my mind that I'm not actually aware of anyway I hope that kind of random intro has sparked your interest enough um I haven't been sort of too vague there Uh, In other news at Strongmind, we are going to be releasing a new course soon in flow and performance, so keep an eye out for that. We've closed closed sales of the Strongmind course, and we're going to go back to releasing the Strongmind and flight school courses just once per year, so also keep an eye out for that. We don't have dates for that yet. And you can keep up to date with what StrongMind is doing by going to strongmindclimbing.com and joining our newsletter. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast, Jeff. It's great to see you. Great uh, to have nice you to on. Great to
1: see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, a treat
0: yeah i hope so well let's just get started um you'd be you would be interested because i know but we want to focus on kind of spontaneity flow intuition these concepts and i would just be interested to hear like what attracted you to those concepts in particular
1: oh my that's that's my you're asking me for my whole life story <laughs> Yeah. You know, um I can tell you, I can tell you maybe a a slightly, now you can edit if you need to edit from the podcast. So I'll just say what I want to say and then I'll, the rest is on you. Okay. (laughs) So actually the first time I had a profound experience of flow was during the last time that I took LSD, which was in college. So that was a few minutes ago. And, um, and I was by myself. And I sat down in a big easy chair, and the the drug started to affect me in a profound way, and I had a very strange experience. I had what felt like a presence. It had a voice, but it felt like a presence. And it came to me, and this is the essence of it, it said to me, let the thoughts come. So I just sort of ceased control and surrender to the experience, and I won't tell you the rest of the journey, but it was life-altering, and healing, and ecstatic, and insightful, but the essence of it was that when I let go, and I just surrendered to the process, of an intelligent process ensued, and it took me to the edge of my ability to tolerate fear, and then it released me, into a place of insight and kind of ecstasy. And then the fear would come back. And this time I could take a little bit more and I got used to that. And when I could tolerate that, but I got right to my edge, this kind of intelligent guided process released me from the fear and took me into greater insight and opening. So it was this idea that by surrendering my mind. My mind's sense of control. I made room for something, you could say, intuitive or something innate or intelligent, to kind of work through me and take me in directions I never could have conceived of on my own.
0: Hmm. All right, that's
1: my you. You asked, so I told you that was that's great. That was the first time I got interested in 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 this idea that you could by surrendering. Open up a powerful process,
0: mm-hmm. and then how did it develop from there?
1: Oh, well, now you're asking me for the rest of my life. <laughs> um I could say um from there. um I mean, I, I'll just because you have my mind back in college. I remember I, I went to college. You know, I was a good math student. I was all gung ho. I'll go study physics and computer science and whatever. But after about a year, and I'm now that. We're, having this conversation with me i'm wondering how much the lsd had to do with it i switched (laughs) and became a poetry major (laughs) so
0: so i put down
1: i put down my 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 texas instruments calculator um and i um and i started writing and the kind of poetry that i was writing at the time and other pieces that i was writing plays and things all had this quality of flow like i was I was really just into what would fall out of my mouth when I would just let it happen. And I was surprised because I hadn't done that in the past. And here I had all this, this great new language coming out of me and these and these insights and perceptions. And I, I didn't know that could happen. But it happened again when I kind of let it happen. I, I didn't try to write a great poem. I just relaxed and let myself write. And then the best mm-hmm. things would fall out that way. So that was the next part. (laughs) That was a a continuation. And then, you know, I'll tell you a few other interesting things, I think, for you and maybe for your listeners. But I I was involved for about 15 years in a kind of psycho-spiritual, meaning psychological and spiritual practice called the Diamond Approach. It's a great school. Um, It's out of the United States, but it's also in Europe and Australia and other places. and the central practice, and this is what drew me to it, the central practice is a kind of inquiry. So I went to I went to, um, I went to uh, find out about this school at a big event in Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, we were doing, you know, this kind of inquiry practice. And it was an inquiry into the nature of the heart and the mind, how they're interpenetrated, how each works. It was really really interesting. And in between talks, we would do this practice. And the way that you do the practice is very similar to what I just described. You let the thoughts come, right? So you basically see control and you just look to see what's arising in your experience. And you become, and you, it's not, you become curious, you follow your curiosity. So you see that's interesting. What is that? So you just stay with it. And it could mean nothing. It could seem random. It could be sensations you don't understand. It could be thoughts that come in that you want to edit because you don't even want to say them to the person that you're doing the exercise with, right? But when you just get into letting it flow and you let it happen, what you discover is that all kinds of content rises up that you could not have Called on if you tried to do it, you could only let it happen. So, for example, the first time I was in that hotel in Boston, I was doing an exercise, and um, this was a long time ago. This was about fifteen, at least fifteen years ago, and um and I was never. I, my heart would open up deeply, but only when I was by myself. It was it was a kind of a private affair for me. Um, what do you
0: mean when you say? your heart opens up
1: i'll say it to you i'll i'll when i as i finish the story you'll see what i mean so hold that question but good question the um so what so here i am in this hotel lobby a kind of reserved private person ish and um The um, I'm in a hotel lobby with two other strangers doing inquiry practice, and I'm just trying to trust whatever happens and not control it. Right. And I start talking, and the next thing you know, I am like, my heart is just cracking open. I'm bawling tears of gratitude. So that's an example of my heart opening. It's like, you know, like existential gratitude. And, um, and And, here I am. What are these strangers doing? They were sitting there, just you know. I don't, I don't remember to tell you the truth. But usually, I mean, it wasn't like they were shocked because a lot of people are having deep openings doing this kind of process. Ah, So that was not. They're
0: on the trip. They're doing the course as well. They're not just random people. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. So when I say strangers, I don't mean random
1: people in the lobby. To hey, come sit here while I cry. Understood. Um, so, uh, So. So that's kind of another, and that kind of inquiry process, many times I'll start the inquiry process and I'll first have to see all the subtle ways that I'm trying to control my experience and I'm not Mm -hmm. letting things flow and I'm not being, there are subtle ways where I think I'm doing it, but at some layer of my mind, I really think I know better and where this inquiry should go. So I try to steer it. And I have to just let go. Sometimes maybe there's nothing coming up and maybe that has to be good enough and I can't force it, right? But when you get into that very surrendered place, extraordinary things arise and they reveal that there's an underlying innate intelligence that shows you parts of yourself as you're ready to see them and helps you liberate yourself from conditioning and limiting beliefs that you'd held onto, even if you didn't know you did. So-
0: Interesting. That's
1: a little bit more.
0: Yeah. So I have some questions. Um, so how do you know the difference between like this natural intelligent state of being and like sort of being impulsive?
1: Okay. Well, I mean, if you're sitting doing inquiry, it's it's much clearer. But I think what you're yeah. kind of getting at is you can be a spontaneous are we allowed to curse on your podcast? I'm from New York.
0: Yeah, I think so. I just have to toggle a box saying explicit language.
1: I'll I'll, I'll, I'll try to bleep myself. Um, Bring in some of that so, control. <laughs> so um you know the um I think what you want to get at is you know spontaneity sounds good, but you can be a you know road rage is spontaneous, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. You're
1: driving down the road, and, you know, you think you're somebody something wrong and you just instantly get reactive. So reactivity and spontaneity have a very different feeling to them. I don't want to overreach and make it black and white, you know, and say mm-hmm. that you can put everything in one camp exactly or the other because there's, you know, but the feeling of being surrendered mm-hmm. and allowing experience to arise when you're doing that intentionally versus just being reactive in life, it feels very different. Um, Mm -hmm. What else can I say? Do you have any other questions about that? Because I can tell that was something you've been thinking about.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's clear to me the difference between spontaneity and reactivity. But I guess, like, I think the deeper element to that question is, how does one, like, trust their natural state of opening up? you know like you know some of the control that we have and some of the self-consciousness that we feel especially in social situations is kind of there for a reason right like it means that we are acceptable people you know to our tribe or whatever (laughs) and we can argue like whether that's healthy or not but I suppose that you know how how do you know that what when you let go and you surrender, how do you know that whatever's coming up is intelligence or if it, if it's just a load of crap coming up?
1: <laughs> the um it's a great question. Um I'm gonna go on a can I take a couple of related tangents on that?
0: Yeah, of course. The, yeah. Um
1: so after college, I I you know I had already been meditating you know, for several years at that point and studying different writings around personal growth and enlightenment teachings and the like. And I lived in an ashram then for several years and I had a guru and um, I've come to see the guru in an interesting way in hindsight. Um, It was not a warm and fuzzy ashram. Um, We did not wake up each morning and have the guru tell us what wonderful and enlightened people we were. Quite the contrary. It was, it was a, I don't, I didn't say anything right for about five years. I think I was wrong. So um, but here's what I here's what I learned. And I've seen and I'm saying this not just because of my personal experience, but it's important and I've seen it in a lot of teaching situations. But when people start to open up to spontaneous, intelligent, deeper capacities, let's say amazing things happen. Like, and I'm sure you experienced this too. I think we all do, but like I often I want to say, I almost want to say always, but I'm often surprising myself with what's falling out of my mouth. And somehow I can be very helpful to people not ha- and I don't even know, I just show up and I just listen and I watch and then I spontaneous, it's very helpful. Now that sounds good. That can go off the rails and that's what i've seen go off the rails and that's a, that's your question in hindsight when i look back at all those years with that guru where i never said anything right for five years the um what i see is a person who became so confident for good reason because they had amazing things come out of them creative intelligent helpful incisive things fall out of their mouth when they just trusted their spontaneous flow but And this is where it goes wrong with a lot of teachers. You get to a point where you think you can do no wrong. You take the editor completely um, offline. And then you could do some really nasty shit. (laughs) You know, and you've seen this, you've seen this with gurus, you know, I'm not just talking about my dad, he wasn't the nastiest, but I've seen it with some really nasty gurus where, you know, you just think that you know what's best for another person, and you can trust whatever comes out of you. So if you have, if you have an impulse to be angry, or if you have an impulse to be aggressive with them, right, it's justified, because you're helping them, you're helping them crush their ego, You know so it's that kind of an orientation now that's that's a very common story in spiritual circles like many gurus have been demoted by their communities um fired by their communities um because the community rose up and said you know what it's just not cool you're going too far we've lost trust in you you're being aggressive you're hurting people now it's always nuanced because there are times where people might just like not having their egos poked so they can turn around and just say, you know, so it's always nuanced. So I don't want to try to make this into I don't want to overreach and make final mm-hmm. points about this. But there is definitely the danger and uh, that you can trust yourself and uh, become, you know, a, a destructive force as well as a constructive force. There's just mm. no question about it. And you can also just, um, now I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to offend half your audience. Are you a religious person, by the way?
0: Uh, not at all, no.
1: Okay. If any of your listeners are, I apologize in advance. But the um, when you see a good preacher get going, first of all, I love a good preacher. It's spectacular. <laughs> you know, the energy and how they're feeling. The, but. But this, sorry, this is my apologies. The stuff that falls out of uh, of their (laughs) mouth almost all the time is absurd, right? Mm. Their energy is great and their spontaneity is spectacular. And for all I know, I don't want to try to say what other people should do. For all I know, that's perfect for those people in that space, in that culture, in that moment. But it doesn't mean that what's falling out of their mouth is um, wisdom um, or truth. Right, so mm. that's another uh, way that people can overtrust their spontaneity is that they think that it must be wise if it's coming out of my mouth. Um, so yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, because I guess like you know the, the spontaneity is more the energy and the how rather than the what, isn't it? You know, it's like whatever content we've got in our minds that comes out. The spontaneity part is more about letting it come out right rather than what's actually in your mind. So, if like, if you were a very unwise person, like you just, you, you were very poorly educated, had really weird beliefs you know or you'd been spent your life on some right wing youtube rabbit hole or left wing don't want to be biased here but you That's know okay. if you've gone down you, some you dark you are
1: and you were and it's okay
0: <laughs> yeah if you've gone down some dark like reddit hole or whatever right and so then you're spontaneous at your next you know meeting or whatever you could be spontaneous and have this real skill and the energy, but what's coming out of your mouth is actually total crap or you know, harmful or, or whatever. So, is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yes, but a couple of other nuances. One, like when I go in, when I'm in a flow state, I cannot climb a rock face, <laughs> right? I can, it, it's not like I get in flow and all of a sudden I'm like, you know,
0: yeah. surfing
1: big waves or, right? So it's, or playing saxophone, you know, improvising with an ensemble. So there's our capacities. And when we get out of our way, as we do in a flow state, those capacities can flow. But then there's also, there are, my experience, this is the way it looks to me, okay, I don't want to overreach, but this is the way it looks to me, is that that human beings, um, we have our own personal consciousness, right? Like I don't have your memories and you don't have mine and you look through your eyes and I look through mine. So there's that truth. But at the same time, we're alive inside a much bigger universe than the bubble of our own self and our own thoughts, right? And there are there apparently innate qualities That flows spontaneously when people get out of their way, right? That aren't skills that they've had to develop over the course of years and years and years of training. So for example, love. So many people, when they give themselves over to it, will be carried away by, moved by, touched by, lifted up by love. And they didn't practice that. And they don't have to, it's not a muscle. And they didn't have to figure it out. It just seems to be here. Right. Um, when when people open more, they tend to become more compassionate. You don't have mm. to practice it, you don't have to read about it. It just kind of happens. So there are deeper capacities which just flow. Creativity. I guess
0: we, do, we do practice a lot of those things though, right? Most of us. Like, I, you know, I wonder if someone who'd had a very traumatic childhood who hadn't been loved or hadn't been shown love, would it it be as easy for them to let love flow?
1: Well, many people, we don't, you know, it's not as cut and dry as they weren't shown love or something like that, where it's like, as though it's something that we have to mirror, right? Um, Mm. It's much more than that. Um, But many people for many we're all from the time where you know maybe in the womb we're all being influenced by external conditions when we're when we're born where we're in a a relationship and we're being influenced and shaped we develop safety strategies as you alluded to before um, and protective mechanisms and defenses And we push away our trauma so much so that we don't even know that it's there and we become deadened. And Mm -hmm. all of that is an obstacle to living with more freedom and spontaneity. Um, So when I say we don't have to practice, it doesn't mean we don't have to do practices. Like I sat Mm -hmm. in that hotel room with those strangers who were in the workshop and we did this practice. And in Mm -hmm. the course of that practice, my heart cracked open in some new ways
0: mm-hmm.
1: that yeah. then that then started to happen more frequently that then became natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but never, so it's like, yes, you have to do the practice or you have to do the healing to work through your trauma, to work through your defenses. But the love itself or the compassion itself, you don't have to practice.
0: It's there. It's, yeah, yes. it's a natural human's be- capacity.
1: It seems to be that human beings can tap into, uh, and many people will describe that realm in different ways as our essential nature, or the the, the the positive qualities of mind that rise from the ground of being, as they say in Buddhism. But, um, but there's generally a notion that there is a layer of innate human capacity that we don't have to practice, although, as you say, we might have to do practices to open that up.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits of using psychedelics or other psycho-enhancing drugs, right, is that it kind of is a shortcut for many people. Um, You know, and that's what we're seeing a lot of research in that, right, with... um, you know, some mental health conditions and dealing with trauma, dealing with grief, end of life stuff, you know, um, and your own personal experience, right? It sounds like that was a big turning point for you.
1: Yes. Now you you alluded to two things, Um, the use of psychedelics. You, um, you called it a shortcut. It's a shortcut to having certain experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. so that
1: you then know that that experience is a potential yeah but it's not a shortcut to stabilizing that experience no. necessarily though it can be a helpful it's like if you go on a if you go on a long retreat you can get to states of mind that most of us can't get to in the midst of you know our daily circumstances mm-hmm. but then when you leave the retreat and you come back into daily circumstances, come off the mountain, back into the marketplace, you know, then you're faced with all the little reactivity. And are you going to now grab onto it and, and and let it carry you away from the state that you atta- attained at retreat? And the answer is, yes, you are. And um, almost, you know, the, the universal story about retreats and psychedelics is that, you um you know yes they open up big windows but then it's really the integration and the ongoing reorientation and practicing that changes your life but they can be potent catalysts um, as it was at the as they were for me um
0: yeah totally i think catalyst is a is a really good word for it um It'd be cool to hear, you know, you give a kind of a brief description of what you really mean when you say get out of your own way. Like, who's doing the getting out of the way? <laughs> like, what's the thing that's stepping aside?
1: Well, you talked about, you know, the the uh, the benefits to civil society of editing our impulses in social situations. Um, for example. Um, and, you know, but, and I think you'll probably resonate with this. Um, there is truth in that. I've rarely seen, not never. I have a brother, but that's another story. But I have rarely seen people go too far. <laughs> Except my, but rarely, you know, are people too spontaneous where they really mess it up um of course people become reactive in the sense that we were talking about before and that's just you know people are reactive and that can always go off the rails but the much bigger danger the much more common circumstance is that people don't go far enough you know what i mean that people just they just opt for comfort and familiarity mm. at the expense of aliveness and yeah. um
0: Because it's safe, right? It's the safety of it, I suppose, isn't it? Is it also the ego as well, you know? Like how much of it is about I have a sense of identity and a sense of self that I'm attached to, and that's very much linked to what other people expect of me or I think they want to see in me, which I, I suppose is comfort too, but there's also that sort of egoic component as well.
1: Well, you know, ego is one of those words that doesn't mean the exact same thing to everyone. So it's a little hard to make a comment about ego without having a discussion of what we mean by ego. Well,
0: let's just use it in like the sense it's not like in the sense like everyone has an ego. It's basically just their sense of self that they're quite attached to. Let's go for that.
1: So the... um. I don't know if I said this to you when we spoke last time. Did I tell you a story about looking out at a tree in the fall from my mother's basement or something? Anyway, oh, I was man. down in my. I'm about fourteen or fifteen years old. I'm down in my mother's basement, where I, I, my apartment was. I, me and my brother. I don't know what they were thinking. It was a terrible parenting decision. But me and my brother lived in the basement of this house with a separate entrance that we could sneak out. It was not a good parenting <laughs> move, but but I made it. Um, but anyway. The um, I I just one day I just had this moment. I looked out the window and I could see a tree, and it was autumn here in New York. The leaves turned golden, so I see these golden leaves. And I had a thought about it like the leaves are golden, the thought was not profound, it was just an observational thought. But in that moment, for whatever reason, I saw the thought so starkly, and I and I and I recognized I'm like i i mean why who am i talking to i'm the guy that just saw the tree why why did i just have a thought like oh that tree and then i'm listening like it was news and i'm like what the fuck is going on you know i'm like it's crazy town in here and then in that and now i'd already been meditating and i knew i had thoughts and i knew that they were non-stop and they were mechanical and it just went on and on i already knew that but i never saw it so starkly at how insane is that too strong a word how insane it is to take that seriously because i mean it's just it speaks to this crazy circumstance i'm here living my life and then i'm narrating it to somebody else in me who then comments and it's like it's crazy town and then i realized that in that same moment i realized that oh i'm doing that all the time And then I realized, oh, oh, everybody else is. And that my whole view of like the world changed. And I started to get really interested in how weird the mind is, like how strange it is, A, that that everything I just described is happening and B, or maybe B should be A, that nobody seems to notice or care about it. It's like nobody, everybody's walking around like, like crazy people and this, in this thing that nobody seems to understand is happening nonstop and everybody's just kind of in it so when i think about ego i think about ego is the kind of like those thoughts they use the word i right so it's like hey i i wonder why i thought that huh i had an interesting that was interesting i'm like huh? Oh, you know i better do this and i better do that and it, and the thought says i and it kind of feels like a self you know it kind of feels like there is this kind of narrative self that gets formed right so that's kind of what you're alluding to i think when you say the sense of self this kind of this kind of self e slash what some people call ego that gets kind of online as we reach a certain age and we start to kind of live more in that sense of things so um so does that kind of
0: yeah, 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 no, that's that I would agree. I would also just say like I think the other interesting part of that sense of self that I think is built is often built into the concept of ego is that there's also like an attachment to it. There's like uh and like there's a real feeling of when that sense of self gets threatened, you know, and it feels painful, you know. It's like that feeling you get when someone insults you or they like put you down or um, or someone, you know, or you're jealous or something. It's like where jealousy comes from. Um, you know, it's like those those sort of egoy social hurts, I think, are that sense of self like revolting. As in, like, like a revolt, <laughs> not as in disgusting. Not revolting. as in disgusting. Yes, <laughs> yes, as
1: in yes, rebelling.
0: Rebelling. Yeah. Yes. back. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So you're emphasizing the quality of attachment, like. Um,
0: yeah, I just. Um yeah it's like a attachment to like an identity or like I guess it's like a you know it's that it's that inner monologue and that's it's the inner talking like you've described but there's also this like you know we have like this bundle of concepts don't we that and belief and beliefs and ideas that we have created in our own mind and we like put the letter i you know we. We put i next to it and go that's me um and like when you talk about getting out of your own way it's that self that i intuitively think of but i would like to hear whether that's the self that you think of
1: <laughs> well i mean i think of the um you know the narrative self the ordinary mind some people refer to it like the problem solving mind like it's a useful analytic
0: thinking mind well
1: analytic absolutely but also um there's a term in buddhism i've heard it um translated different ways but it's dukkha and some people say that you know the Buddha said oh you know all is suffering some people say that's not a great translation. And they take dukkha and they talk about it as agitation of mm-hmm. mind. That's more that's a little more interesting. The way it, the way it looks to me is that um that our this narrative mind that we're talking about, it's always in time, it's always on to the next thing, it's always trying to improve whatever circumstance you're in whatever you're experiencing what can I do to feel a little more this way or a little more that way
0: craving I want to be
1: like what
0: craving isn't it yeah it's like uh, they talk about craving and aversion you know it's like it's looking for stuff to get better and it's looking to push the bad stuff away
1: and sometimes it's super obvious and sometimes it's very very subtle Mm. so um you know, sometimes it's clear, like, oh, you're having an emotion you don't want. You're going to try to drink it away. So that's a that's a course, obvious example of pushing away experiences you don't want for experiences that you do want. But even when you're doing something subtle like meditation, you're sitting in there and you're you're trying to have a good meditation. You're kind of like your current state. Yeah. You could say it's a little bit of a problem. And you're trying to like make it just a little bit better, you yeah. know. So that's you know. And in um, in Zen, there's that famous quote. I won't do it verbatim, but it's something along the lines of you know, the Zen master tells the student, "You're perfect, and you could get a little bit better," you know. And so it's this, I it's this paradox. Because nobody's saying that we shouldn't grow. Nobody's saying that we shouldn't accomplish. Nobody's saying we shouldn't be successful. Nobody's saying we shouldn't be happier or better or that we should live with discomforts emotionally or physically. We should try to heal and it's all good. But at a different level, we don't see the way that the mind is constantly moving us forward to the next thing which it thinks it's going to be better. There's a little experience Experiment that I've had a few a uh, few meditation teachers do, which is um, it just takes a second. I don't think uh, I'll just say it to you now, and maybe people will enjoy it at home. It's super simple. But if you look at the mind as a problem-solving machine, so to speak, um always looking through you know not rose-colored glasses but problem-colored glasses, so everything looks like a problem. If you look at the mind that way um what would be here now in your awareness if there was no problem to solve what would be left
0: yeah it's, an, it's a nice uh thought experiment. an
1: interesting reflection
0: mm-hmm. right
1: you can look at it just like oh yes i had a moment i relaxed that's good but the, the point really is to understand the nature of the mind right mm-hmm. um what would be here if there was no problem and and as you as you go into that inquiry you start to see that the in addition to the problem solving mind what's here is just simply awareness is here it sounds mm-hmm. super simple and obvious oh yeah i know of course whatever you you know and in a way it is super sim- simple and obvious but it's so obvious that it's easy to miss um so for example the um i i remember when i i first noticed um that uh, i'm going to say something so obvious i'm going to look like a crazy person but it's like you can't not be aware like try now try to stop being aware
0: yeah yeah there's always awareness unless you're it
1: rises spontaneously but you have the feeling as you're living in your mind you have the feeling that that's you being aware doing Mm -hmm. awareness you know, that yeah. you have to focus to be aware. But what if you just stop and there's no problem? Mm. What's left?
0: Yeah. I mean, it just happens to you, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, a, you know, the the room is here, you know, I can close my eyes, but then I just got a different type of awareness, which is the color of black beneath my eyelids.
1: Right. So. Well, there's what you're aware of, and then there's just the basic fact of awareness.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the
1: content's are always going to change. Yeah. but the awareness is always here yeah always has been
0: mm-hmm. and
1: always will be the uh um, well
0: i guess when we die unless you believe in life after death is probably um the end of awareness for us right
1: well for us personally i won't i won't weigh in on that though um i was just saying the awareness remains even though it may not be my awareness um yeah you know and um I don't think we want to go down that rabbit hole yet. uh, Yeah.
0: Okay. So so I've got I've got a question for you. Okay, so what's the difference between understanding awareness and understanding spontaneity? What's the relationship between the two?
1: I mean, really. I mean, I'm not when you say understanding awareness. I mean, I don't think I understand awareness, but I just. I but we can be better
0: of, connected to it, I suppose, can't we? Right, and that's what meditation kind see. of.
1: Let's. See. Um, I mean, as
0: in, as in, there's awareness, obviously, at that sort of default level, but we can be lost in thought and not be very aware, right? Right. We can be lost so, in thought just, somewhere else.
1: Right. So to use the language we've been building, right? So you can be, you can be absorbed into this narrative mind we've been describing having conversations with yourself about whatever um and um and um and that happens all the time that is the human condition and and very few people i wouldn't pretend to put a number on it but i don't think very many people don't have some degree of that right yeah, you'd have I mean, to be like
0: enlightened or something wouldn't you you'd have to well is a
1: One of those words, too, that means different things. But yeah. the uh, I think there are a small number of people that just, you know, they've just rest. Like if we call that the ground of awareness, they're just they just rested in it so much that the rest of the stuff just has evaporated and all they are is present in the ground of awareness. And if you read the research about people in that state, they have no sense of agency. It's all flow now. They, they're still doing things. They're making a sandwich, but they're not like they don't have a, a like a narrative self deciding if they want mustard or mayonnaise. They just kind of doing it. You know, it's like it sounds terrible. But like I wonder,
0: I wonder if those people still use thought to plan, you know, because that's when thoughts are useful. Right. Is that they like help us kind of strategize about things in the future. That's probably why we've evolved to have thoughts.
1: Well, the, um, I won't weigh in on why we evolved to have thoughts other than that. Possibly there's a very good sense of humor at work in the universe. That is possible. But other than that, the, um, you know, um, I, I don't, I have to, I, I don't know enough about people who are in that state to know how they manage thinking about the future. Um, I'm sure somebody says, Do you want to do so? You want to have dinner next Thursday? And it's not like they're like, you know, they can, they can deal, right? They can function. So it's not like they're completely offline, but they're just not absorbed in their narrative self. Yeah. I don't think they're having thoughts that say I and then responding to them and responding to those. But um I could uh, uh, there's a very important point here to make, which is this idea let's say for today we're just going to say that there's this narrative self, ego narrative self, and then there's ever present spontaneously rising can't destroy it if you want to awareness right
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: many many people online and leading retreats and writing books are teaching people how to rest more in that mm-hmm. ground of awareness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the reasons for that are profoundly obvious when you see them, because if you're if you're absorbed in your mind, no matter how well your life is going, it's compromised. That's the dukkha mm-hmm. That's the agitation. There's always low grade dissatisfaction, you know, just what's next and what's next and how can I improve this? It could be obvious. Mm-hmm. It could be subtle, but there's a constant gnawing dissatisfaction that comes from the agitation of the mind, right? Yeah. So a lot of people are teaching people how to rest in the ground, yeah. right? Now, my organization is called Being and Doing, and that's because I recognize the truth of that, which I'll just call being, that when we can rest in the ground, we can we can access those essential, unconditioned qualities more readily. We can access our creative flow more readily. We can access innate intelligence more readily. We're not everything isn't going through the limits, like you said, of our beliefs and the limits of our reactivity and defenses and conditioning. So um, that's all good. But I call it being and doing because at the same time, you know, there's a difference between, let's say, developing a meditative practice because. You're anxious and stressful and you want to feel better by reducing the stress. And you saw the studies and meditation reduces stress. So you're like, I'll go meditate. That's good. Mm -hmm. So that's one approach. But that is a very, that is really just like, how do you um, make your ego experience, make your absorption in mind a little more tolerable?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, can we make this? And it's, I'm not knocking it. It's all good, right? So it's like, if you've got some trauma, if you've got some, you know, if you've got anxiety, you gotta, you have to, sometimes you just have to deal with symptoms if they're acute, you can't just, kind of, right. So you, people have to heal. We all have to heal. But at the same time, this resting in the ground is not a solution to a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So that is not about, like, that is not about reducing your stress that is not about you know that is not about getting away from uncomfortable feelings that's just about grappling with the existential reality of being a human being i mean that's what we are that state is here it's always here Mm -hmm. and um and once you see that it's always here your experience of your mind becomes a little less compelling it becomes Mm -hmm. less interesting have you heard in this this comes out of a lot of spiritual tr- traditions the idea that um that a seeker a spiritual seeker if you will that the that that the very act of seeking becomes an obstacle
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: at at some point yeah right maybe not on day 1 because you have to work through a lot of healing but at some point and what that is is because the act of seeking is an act of the narrative self it's an act of the mind it's a problem solving solution and when you when you can rest in the ground of being you really you don't relate to the, your life that way you don't relate to your life as a problem to solve Right, mm-hmm. um, you no longer you're no longer seeking, and you don't think your mind can take you any place all that interesting, so you just lose interest in it little by little. um you have a question
0: no, no, um, no, I guess you know, um, you know, like acceptance comes to mind a little bit there. it's like, um, you know, how can you train yourself to be equanimous or to accept or to be? to be okay with your current experience if you are in a state of seeking. I suppose that's, you know, why the seeking is an issue. But again, I think it goes back to what you mentioned before about this idea of a paradox, because if no one would do the practice if there were, if it didn't start with at least some seeking, Right.
1: No, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. And somebody somebody hears that idea and they say, Oh, now I'm gonna try to stop seeking. And that's just seeking.
0: I, but also you can't you know, you can't stop seeking. You can't just stop that. Well, like, you, you just can't sit just on the sofa and you would just right. die on the sofa there.
1: <laughs> you know? Well, wait, no, wait, wait, we're making <laughs> We're making two points, I think. There's, you know, you can't stop seeking like I want to get my lunch. So that would leave you dead on the if you stop seeking to that degree. But, you know, in terms of this idea of seeking a better state, seeking a better life, you know, your kind of inner world more than your outer world, the, um, you know, um, you can't just decide to stop seeking because that would be you would only do this is I, I don't mean to get hung up on words, but. It's, it would be like, how can you seek to stop seeking? You know, it's like, oh, I have a good idea. I'm going to stop seeking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, I mean, that was me seeking. I'm going to stop. Well, that's that's exactly what seeking is. Okay. Right? So you, it's it's kind of, it's like those Chinese handcuffs, you know, you know, where uh, you like, yeah, yeah.
0: you put your
1: two fingers in a tube, and if you try to pull them apart, it just gets tighter, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot the, of kind uh, of strangely paradoxical concepts in a lot of spiritual teachings, isn't there? And also in flow state as well. You know, like in okay, flow so, state, there's this sense of like, you know, you have to it has to be challenging, but yet it feel it can feel easy or it can feel automatic despite the challenge. Um, you know, and there's like a sense of like I can't reason- believe
1: you're saying that though. I know that's your experience, but it's just when i look at what you do i just can't believe that 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 you would say the word effortless or whatever <laughs> yeah
0: is. but i mean it can it can feel effortless despite it being this like a state of challenge um and yeah maybe just to bring it back to sport cuz i think it was interesting you know when you, when you were talking before about kind of like this like human condition right of this like the overthinking Narrative mind. And I think that, you know, one of when people really think about the reasons why they go climbing or do sport in general or like other creative outlets or whatever, I think it's because those activities really quieten down that narrative mind. And it's like when I go climbing, it's like I get a break from myself. It's like going on like a holiday or something, you know. And it's interesting because I've been injured recently and I've been working a lot. And it's like, okay, well, how do like I've had to like ramp up my meditation practice because like I'm kind of at a loss as to how I can find that holiday state, (laughs) you know, because that's what I use. Like climbing is what I use to get out of my own way, you know, and I think that that's how it is for a lot of people yet they've maybe not put those words to it. Um, And I just wonder if, you know, you agree with that and with the teaching you do, do you use, you know, is the doing part actually helpful to let people be more in this state of spontaneity and awareness?
1: Um, Well, firstly, I mean, your own experience, you've described the classic reason why athletes go back again and again in spite of the risks um mm-hmm. because it's like a vacation it's like a vacation a lot from... of my climbing
0: I do is not risky by the way just you know to put that out there like uh, most of the climbing I do is not um is actually really safe safer than mountain biking for example just so you know.
1: um so, but whatever challenge or risk drives extreme athletes to go back week after week is, um, is you know, the way I've read about it. And I'm not an extreme athlete, um, but um, is exactly what you're describing. It's like it's this, the experience in and of itself. Forget the climate. The experience of being released from yourself the being of being out of your mind is so rich and so satisfying that people will go back again and again now when i hosted the deep flow conference being a Doing's deep flow conference um i interviewed a spiritual teacher and about flow states and his first question to me was oh do you mean um transient flow states temporary flow states or do you mean persistent ongoing flow states that's the question isn't it like like how how would you feel about being in that climbing state or some version of it for all of your life the um and you know it's not about happy right just to give people the right idea it's not about happy it's just about allowing it's it's just about you know it's a, it's allowing without the nattering interference and self conflict and look at it this way and look at it this way and what about that and trying to give yourself a pep talk and putting yourself down and putting yourself up and it's just exhausting you know it's like yeah. you don't want to live in that right so you get out on the mountain and that kind of the circumstance pulls you out but that that is what you know whole practice of awakening is about it's to just get free from that separated egoistic narrative self with its reactivity and, it, and 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 another way to view it that that's kind of like there's a carrot and stick you know kind of metaphor here and that's kind of that's kind of the stick it's like oh get away from the pain of your mind you know come wake mm-hmm. up that's but then there's the carrot part of it And the carrot part of it is just the part of us that just loves reality and loves wanting to know, Mm -hmm. like we're here and it's this bizarre existential circumstance we're in. We're kind of conscious and we're kind of apes and we're kind of on a planet and we're kind of dying and we're kind of in relationships. And it's like, it's a crazy existential circumstance. And a part of us just really wants to know the truth, you know, like, what is this? What's going on? You know? Um, I guess it's feeling
0: connected, isn't it? That's, you know, that's, you know, and that's, and I don't, I don't, like, because I don't see like going climbing or doing sport or creative activities in the same way, maybe. I don't think it's a catalyst in the same way that psychedelics are, because it's, it's something that is sustainably part of your life. It just helps you be it helps you get be into that space where you're not in your own way it helps you be more in reality helps you to feel connected to where you are at that moment in time and you can train yourself to be more connected in those spaces you know and that's one of the things I do as a coach or what I end up doing is like because people can't get out of their own ways when they're climbing because of fears or doubts or self-consciousness or whatever it is, they're not actually loving it half as much as they could be. Right. Like, because it's like their narrative mind is following them up the wall with them.
1: And so Perfect. it's like, yeah. why
0: are they doing it? You know? And a lot of people are like, what do want to give up? Or they force themselves to go because it's chased them there. um so for me it's like the it's not like oh there's this state this extreme state of climbing and then there's life it's like it's all one and the same it's just in some spaces it's easier to get out of yourself than in other spaces um I don't know would you agree with that
1: well I've heard that um, I don't know if this is true from my own experience or research but I've heard um, I think Stephen Kotler talking about flow states and he was talking about, um, I don't want to misquote him, but there's some discussion about, and I think this even started with sent um, Csikszentmihalyi, some discussion about how going back to flow states regularly, right? Like the more, the better, mm, affects yeah. how you live the rest of your life. Yeah. Like it, it does have a bleed over effect into yeah. the rest of your life. So I have to ask, is that your experience?
0: Yeah, although I think that it's I do yeah, it's hard to know if that would my experience would be my experience if I hadn't brought so much awareness to my psychology. Like if I hadn't gone, oh, this is actually what I like about climbing these states, or if I'd gone, you know. Oh, I can actually find these states in other areas of my life as well. Do you know what I mean? I think that is that it does necessitate a kind of degree of awareness somehow for me, at least. Anyway, I don't know if it's this if that's what he found in his research, but I think I think in some of his research there was this sense of you know these autotelic personalities, you know, people who who find value in the thing in and of itself these sorts of people find flow more easily. And there does seem to be a sort of correlation between kind of like, you know, if you can find flow in one area, you're probably more likely to find it in other areas as well. But I do think that a lot of people don't make that cognitive leap. They don't think, oh, if I can find flow in climbing, is that going to help me find, could that help me find flow in business? or writing or whatever it is that you're doing the rest of the time you know um i don't know if that's a natural step for a lot of people
1: that's an interesting comment yeah i don't know
0: know.
1: there's a lot of kinds of people uh, out here aren't there Um,
0: yeah yeah i mean and, and sorry go on go ahead no you go
1: I just wanted to say, and there are there are a lot of different practices to support people um, being able to, I'll just say, bring more flow into the life to speak quickly. But there are a lot of different kinds of practices. Um, And
0: I mean, you could maybe like. I think, you know, a really good question to ask you is, you know, how can we get out of our own way more? What can we do? Yeah. What are some like things people can take away? But before yeah. we do that, like maybe it would be nice to just clear up the concepts of like flow, spontaneity, intuition, awareness. How are you connecting these concepts? What's the difference and the similarities?
1: well um, Sorry, a, what would be helpful here let's see the um there was a you know you said a lot of things to, to,
0: i mean to i guess and i you don't know, want it yeah i mean maybe it's best to, to to focus on what it is that you focus on which is this concept of getting out of your own way because if, if one can get out of their own way and we understand what that really means then you're better able to access flow, aren't you? You're more able to be spontaneous. You're more able to be intuitive. Is that the right way of looking at it? Is that the it, most I helpful? think there's
1: truth in that. Yeah. And I and I want to add just to make it more complicated before maybe it gets more simple, is that you can be very spontaneous and free in some aspects of your life and entirely not in other aspects, right? That's yeah. just important to say. So yeah. you can be. You can come off the mountain in a an amazing flow state, whatever your mountain is, and then you get back into your relationship and you find your reactivity and your defenses are keeping you uh, kind of constrained and you're not even sure why or what's happening. You're just kind of there, mm-hmm. but you don't really feel alive in it. Um, yeah. So that's an important thing to realize as well, right?
0: yeah no for sure and that that's my experience in my own life as well like I find it really easy to be playful climbing but like put me in the supermarket and have a stranger talk to me and um I'm very um reserved I would say
1: fascinating the um (laughs) the um where like in this in this school of spontaneity course that we're running now it's um one of the teachers that's coming in is a guy named Dave Rock. Mm -hmm. Um, He's just great. He teaches something called flow speaking. Mm -hmm. And um, basically he has, and this is just a a perspective which will shed some light on one way of getting out of our own way, right? And something that works for me a lot, right? But it's, um, he, he just has people start talking um and he'll have them do all kinds he'll give them all kinds of prompts but basically the the instruction is just let the words fall out of your mouth and you know and he gets people you know they they start out at the beginning of his workshop kind of like terrified to get on stage and before you know it they're on stage giggling like little children right because they just get like all that stuff just falls away and it's like oh finally it's like you on the mountain and um. The um, so uh, I said to Dave, I said, you know, I said, Dave, I do that in business all the time. It's like when I'm like working on a project, I'll just turn on my camera and I'll start talking at the zoom and I'll just, like I said before, you know, you have to give up seeking and that that's subtle, the ways that we continue to seek, the ways that we continue to try, the ways we continue to problem solve. Yeah. So I just, I try to just talk. But I just let it happen. And if I say nothing, if all I say is I have no idea what to say, I'm just, I don't have any good ideas. I'm an idiot. I'm just sitting here making noises at my computer. I don't know what's going on. But then if I just let myself go, what happens is oftentimes my best ideas literally just fall out of my mouth and surprise me. So I said so that's the deal. So you record
0: I- yourself on Zoom and talk to yourself? When I
1: do what I just said? yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I so do. it's not to
0: your business partner; it's just to yourself.
1: That's just that's for myself, and I've never watched any of the videos. But, but the, you uh, keep because, them
0: just in case you forget? No,
1: I don't. Neither I do have you. I have too many. I've got rid of my journals, and my uh. <laughs> I'm done. The um, but the uh, um, but you know, I said that to Dave. I said, Dave, my best, you know, my best ideas fall out of my mouth spontaneously. He said, Oh, you can do that with anything. I said, Oh, really? I said, how about writing a poem about a potato, Dave? So, Dave just, Dave, he's Irish. He's, um, so he just starts and he starts talking about the root vegetable and he gets into it. I can't, I won't attempt it. I, and then he goes from the root vegetable, he goes into like the heart of Irish culture. It's great. <laughs> and then he goes into humanity and you're like, oh my God. And he does this like inspiring riff about a potato. <laughs> and it's just great, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember when um, when Bob Dylan, I think it was an interview with um, maybe it was with Leonard Cohn or something, right? And they're talking to each other. And I don't know. This could just be lore, but this is what I heard. And they're sitting down and somebody said, you know, like Leonard, he says to Leonard Cohn, how long did it take you to write? Hallelujah. And it was like six years or something. And then he said, you know, how long did it take you to write blowing in the wind? And it was like, I don't know, it was about 20 minutes. and And then... <laughs> And then he said, and then he said this line that I always remember where it's like, you can't write that stuff. Right. He just, he flow spoke, he flow spoke to the max, you know, um, you know, um, and there's a place for both. Um, Mm -hmm. editing is not the enemy of creativity by any means, but, but, you know, certain things happen when you just let them happen and just giving yourself now, um, you know and the other one and th- this is kind of why i built this whole school for spontaneity thing is because you have to have a place to practice now when, where do you go to practice being a spontaneous person now of course when you go climbing you have it in that in that form mm. but when you're socializing everybody just kind of is what they is and you're, uh, what they are and you look around the room and some people are clearly a little bit more constrained and some people are clearly mm. a little bit more free flowing you know there are people in my life who just like haven't said anything surprising since i've known them and then there are people that are just live wires and you never know what's going to come out of their mouth right and um by the way they're more fun but that's another story um (laughs) but the um so we don't have so what what we do in like what Dave will do in the flow speaking workshops or what we'll do in the school of spontaneity, or even when I did in the diamond approach, doing inquiry. You need to have safe spaces to see what happens when you go further than you're used to going. Yeah. With no stakes. So that you can say something stupid like I, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm uh, I never know. Oh no! We'll oh, we'll and then you know. And then it's like you can surprise yourself and see what happened. And you know, but you need to have safe spaces to practice being spontaneous in that way, right? You mm-hmm. need to see that when you go a little bit further, that you actually have resources that come to meet you, and it's actually kind of thrilling, and it's alive. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, do you feel that way sometimes with podcasting? Honestly, I know it's not a super safe space because, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people might listen to what I'm saying right now, but in a way, I don't have a sense of that. You know, I'm not thinking about that when I'm speaking with you. And it is a free form conversation in the sense that You know, we don't have, it's not like an Instagram reel where you've got like 90 seconds or something, you know. Um, But yeah, I guess it would be really nice to have a totally safe space like, you know, the one that you're talking about. And I also wonder if there's something there where actually that's what it means to have a really good friend or a really good partner is to feel safe, to be completely spontaneous and say ridiculous things you know that like and or or
1: or or just as challenging um is what if you want to say really brilliant things yeah if you want to inspire people what if you want to uplift a room of people would you give yourself permission or would you be too contracted to let that flow through you Mm. right I mean, that's the beauty of a preacher is they've taken the brakes off all the way and they can, (laughs) regardless of the words, they can like elevate a room, right? Um, And anybody that wants to be a really good speaker who wants to touch people and move people and meet people has to be able to some degree to get out of the script and surprise themselves and be alive for real. And people feel
0: it. And that's hard to do. Like, I, I find I can do that in a kind of Q&A scenario or like a conversational scenario, but I find it really difficult to do when it's more of like a one-way thing. You know, when you, I'm the speaker and the crowd's just sat there, it's much harder to do, I think, because you don't have the the dynamics of the energy being reciprocated, you know? Um so, yeah, I think that's more challenging.
1: I know well. I mean, especially on Zoom. So, I've been leading Zoom meetings, and what I find I've been doing lately is like it starts out and I'll, and I'll just, you know, because I feel funny in the circumstance mm-hmm. I'm sitting here talking to my computer. So, you know, I'll just be like, hey, can you raise your hands to let me know that you're actually existing, you know, yeah, or something, yeah. you know, and people, i just still it's like, I need, I'm constantly
0: say something. <laughs> just
1: to- it's not like I need feedback to know if it's going well. It's not like that. I need to know where you're at and what's landing yeah. and what's not landing. You need to feel people mm-hmm. and respond to people. So if you're just talking to a crowd and they're all just sitting there kind of stone faced, yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough. And that's gig. what
0: British people do. You know, when I give talks in America, it's, it's so much different experience. Everyone's whooping and smiling and saying things. And when I'm in the audience in the States, I hate that. I'm like, why are you whooping? You're ruining my experience because I want to just sit there with a stone face and watch the person. (laughs) When I'm actually giving the talk, I much prefer giving talks in the States because they give you that feedback. Whereas in the UK, everyone's super reserved. Like they don't, say anything. So it's a different experience.
1: That's a great observation. I guess I kind of know that about British people in a general way, but the fact that you're saying that when you go out and speak, you're speaking to already the kinds of younger more progressive people that would want to hear what you have to say, right? It's not like you're going and you're talking to the to the bankers. Well, um, maybe I'm wrong and maybe you are. I don't know really, but you're talking to anybody. But anyway, even but even with a a hip crowd that would want to hear you speaking about flow and things like that, there's still an element of people just being stodgy and stuck and. Reserve. yeah and... but
0: you know some people will come up up to me afterwards and they'll be like that's such a great talk thank you so much I got this out of it I got that out after it and they want to tell me their life stories and all the rest of it but as a crowd there is this thing in British culture where you just don't you just sit there you know you don't you don't do anything <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, we've digressed a I bit. I didn't
1: know that. That's cool. I'm not <laughs> yes. glad to know that. Just
0: don't run your workshops in the UK. Just <laughs> get
1: away. I Unno- <laughs> yeah. Yes.
0: Um. Or maybe you should do because the, we're the people who need it most. We're the most reserved good, good people. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. Okay. So I think we're getting a good sense of you know what we mean when we say get out of our own way. You know and you you've, you've said that you do you do these little things like you speak in, into your computer and just let yourself speak. Is there anything else we can do? Um, and then especially like thinking about sport in particular, right? You know like what what can we do as climbers um, to let ourselves. So I have this mantra that I use sometimes. it's let the body climb because I've climbed for 27 years or more and I know how to climb (laughs) and I climb better when I just let my body climb and I don't like mean literally my body I mean like my subconscious my myself that can flow that can just do it automatically you know And, um, you know what you were talking about when you speak and you surprise yourself with what's coming out. When I get into that state of flow, when I'm climbing, I surprise myself with the moves I can do. I'm like, Whoa, my foot just went there. Or, and this is not me thinking this in the, in the moment, but kind of after I pop out of it, you know? Um, and so yeah, there's, there's that, that sense of of getting out of your own way and, and letting your body do what it knows how to do. Have you got any ideas of how we could better do that?
1: The, um, you know, I wish, and I, we probably will be able to do this in about 10 years or something like that, but I wish we had enough understanding about this that we could take people, run them through a scanner, and put them into categories knowing what's going to be the most effective process for a person to follow to become a little bit free from this narrative self and the absorption in it um and for some people that you know that answer might be sport and for some people it might be inquiry and for some people it might be you know um meditation retreats and for some people it might be psychedelics um and for some people, it might, and there's many different kinds of inquiry, but one way or another or another or another, um, to have a broad life in sport and outside of sport, to have a, to have an open life where you can access some of those positive qualities that are unconditioned, that can come, that are innate, that you don't have to make up, right? You have to change your orientation, right? And that's not something that happens in a day. That's because you've reflected on the nature, like you were saying before, you you brought your awareness to study your awareness, right? You, you, you made that interesting. That became the subject of your curiosity and study. And it's, you have to, in the same way, and I started when I was 14 and I looked at the window in the tree and I thought, oh my God, what's going on in this thing? Why is nobody talking about that? This is, this is shocking, mm-hmm. right? So one way or another, you have to get free enough. You have to be curious enough about it and to to reorient so that little by little, you're just less seduced by your thought. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, like um, people who meditate, they they have a thought and then, you know, they say, oh, that's just a thought. I'm going to just let that go. I'm meditating. Mm-hmm. And then they realize that, Oh, wait, that was just the thought too. It's like, oh, I thought that was me being an observer, but I'm just, oh my God, I just did it again, right? So it's like like whack-a-mole, right? When you're in the (laughs) mind, it's like a -a whack-a-mole, right? And um, so how do you reorient so that you're just not seduced by the whole of it, by Mm -hmm. the whole situation? And that's the reorienting towards not being a seeker in the way that we said. and this isn't doesn't have to be a spiritual context, we're just using not being a problem solver, you know, not trying to change your experience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I will tell you that there are a lot of programs in the world that are really good, that focus on exactly what I'm saying now. And it's different than programs that focus on healing, also good. But it's very different. And it's different than programs that focus on um, meditation as a way to calm your mind and feel better. Like I have no interest in like going on a, a retreat or something to sit on a, you know, so I feel good while I'm sitting by myself on a cushion. That's not what I feel like it's I'm It's not my for.
0: experience of retreats either. I mean, retreat, retreats feel to me, I mean, maybe it's just because of the style I've done, but they felt like suffer like extremely difficult it's not relaxing at all
1: I've been on I've been on different kinds of retreats some are more relaxing than others but yes I hear that you have a pretty adventurous retreat there I'm curious well it's just what the vipassana
0: ones you know the 10 day vipassanas
1: yeah I've
0: yeah. done three of them now and they're not relaxing they're extreme that's the even
1: toward the end of the retreat
0: uh yeah no I mean I definitely um you know towards the end of the there's moments of relaxation for sure and moments of euphoria and moments of just completely concentrated mind you know um definitely from like day day eight and nine um but to get there it's not it's not like oh, I feel stressed at work, so I'll take these 10 days. It really doesn't feel like that. No, it feels like a training camp. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is a certain kind of training camp. And there are many different kinds of retreats. And a lot of people who meditate aren't, you know, they're really looking to stop thinking so much and stop having so many anxious thoughts. And they're looking to change the content of their mind. That's really mm. the point I was making. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and that, that doesn't interest me to sit on a cushion in my house so that I can calm my mind down by doing a breathing. I mean, I don't, I think people should do it. It's great. It's just not everything.
0: It's not Um, spiritual. I guess, you know, what you're doing, you're talking about a spiritual practice, right? And we can go into what we mean by spiritual. And I don't love the word, honestly. Um, Neither
1: do I. Yes.
0: (laughs) but i guess you know you you you're training your mind to to have a different quality altogether i suppose rather than it being I'm like i'm not a... training
1: my mind <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, i it's just not training it's like it's like uh, it's like the it's like have you heard the phrase of like do nothing meditation yeah so it's super interesting now, if you do nothing, but you don't have enough concentration, then it's, then it's called, you know, daydreaming meditation, which is really nothing. Yeah. Right. But if you're kind of concentrated enough to stay present, but you don't resist your mind doing whatever it wants to do, that gets interesting.
0: Yeah. So like the, the I don't know, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I use the, um, waking up app, you know, the Sam Harris meditation yeah. app. And sometimes at the end of those meditations, he said, said, give up all efforts. For the last minute of the session, give up all efforts. And it's interesting because you just keep meditating. You just keep noticing the thoughts that come up. And then, you know, you go, you bring your attention to some other part of your conscious awareness. You know what I mean? It's not like, I'm like, oh, phew, now I can just think about what I'm going to have for dinner just for the next minute. I don't do that. But that's what I do in my normal life. You know, I just think think about not always dinner, but you know, random stuff.
1: Lunch, breakfast, <laughs> yeah. you know, other things, snacks <laughs> occasionally, I think of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's like the like the best retreat, best meditation retreat I was ever on was uh so for the first five days we practiced concentration in little bursts, and we got our minds really concentrated. And then And only then, then we went to these kind of do nothing meditation practices They came out of, you know, Buddhism, and they all have different special instructions and so on. But that's where you do kind of what Sam Harris was describing, which is, what what if you don't make any effort? What's here if there's no problem to solve? It's the same thing that he did. Um, Yeah.
0: It's like, I wonder if you need some experience with meditation before you, you can, you get that. I don't know. Like uh Well, I you know in just, the retreat
1: that I just described, it really helped to do the concentration right, a little yeah. bit first.
0: Yeah, and totally. Because yeah. if
1: otherwise, if you're just sitting there and your mind's wandering, nothing's happening, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you're, you're just, just doing kind of lost what you do when you yeah. don't have your phone.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so you know. Obviously we can, we can go on meditation retreats, ones that are good, but you know, what else are we, what else can we do day to day to, to get out of our own way?
1: Well, it's, it's this orientation. I mean, I could, I could say little things, but people don't listen to podcasts and start practicing things they hear on them anyway, probably. But, um, you know,
0: oh, damn, damn did, I, I would <laughs>
1: I was you were hoping that I. I wish they did. If they did, why would we need eighty thousand podcasts? The um, I mean, people just—it's really hard to just hear an idea that sounds good and get it integrated into your life.
0: Yeah, but I, mean, I. I don't know because I wonder if, like, for me, like, just bringing awareness to things really does seem to help. Like when I understand concepts, it helps me change what I value, and then that changes my behavior. So if I'm like. If I notice the fact that my climbing is better and my day is better when I'm less in my own way, and I bring awareness to that fact, I can set that intention at the start of the day and go, I want to just climb today. I want to, I just want to be connected to my climbing. I want it to feel great when I climb and I don't need to worry about getting to the top or these other things that my narrative mind wants to churn out, you know, i think that would help me
1: well and that's kind of like the orientation that i'm talking about in it in other words it's not as much like a practice there are practices Mm. don't get me wrong and you know there are practices with speaking there are practices in the body i do a thing called five rhythms do you know what that is It's it's this moving practice and um the um it it's not really dance but there's a dj and an amazing sound system and 50 people in a loft in manhattan and you go through a series of rhythms and everybody's moving but it's not about dancing so somebody might just be like just you know spending like 15 minutes just playing with their shoulders and somebody else is walking it's like the whole idea is to let go of control and just like move how it how you are moved and to play Mm -hmm. on that edge of control versus letting go. It's fascinating. When, I when when I was growing up, I was a very, um, I was very reluctant to dance. So you'd have to kind of, if I was at a wedding, you'd have to kind of pull me out of my seat, and kind of do a couple of things and get back to my seat as quickly as I could. Mm -hmm. But I was actually at a, I was actually at a meditation retreat. And at the end of the retreat that, teacher was kind of ordaining a senior student to be a teacher in that lineage it was kind of a big deal so we had a celebration and so somebody came in with a with some music and uh and the teacher had mentioned during the course of the retreat that he dances like a plant and like swaying
0: the um, plants sway
1: <laughs> i know that their roots are planted so I, I i'm see. assuming it okay. didn't yeah so he's like uh, so the music kicks in, and this teacher, um, not only does he join in the party, but he gets in the middle of the circle. He puts on a silly hat that somebody made for him, and then he starts dancing like a plant. you know, absolutely no relationship between his movements and the music. And um you know, it was just and I and I was looking and this was when I was still a reluctant um, dancer and I was this was 10 or 15 years ago, and I was looking at him and I said, oh, I can do that. And I started to move. And as soon as I did, I could feel the familiar feeling of contraction. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't grab onto it. And then it just mm-hmm. kind of went away. And I'm like, oh, so just at that little micro moment, when I first felt it, I had, it was almost like a little fork in the road, I could, I could kind of go my familiar contraction, like, oh, this I have to protect myself. Or I could just kind of you know, air it out a little bit and see where it goes. Right. And now I'm kind of, you know, and then after that, I started doing five rhythms and now I can just, you know, I don't have that contraction anymore, but, but that idea of like allowing contraction to arise and not grabbing onto it. That's the central Mm -hmm. idea. Cause we're always, I I feel things all day long that, that I could contract with. Right. Mm -hmm. So things happen and I'm like, Oh, that's bad. And I'm feeling the feeling. But I don't, I like, I don't, I don't grab onto it. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't pile on by adding more story. I don't analyze it. I don't give myself ways to view it. I don't try to spin it to make it better. I just let it be what it is. And I don't grab onto it. And that orientation is the central, the central move. You used the word acceptance earlier, but that, that word could mean Mm. different things to different people. But yeah, it's that just kind of letting yourself be what you are. But not grabbing on with the mind and and adding all of that excess. I think you used the technical term crap earlier. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. Wow, that was great. Um, how about we leave it there? I think that's a nice note to end on.
1: That sounds good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thanks so much for your thoughts. It's been really interesting.
1: Yeah. Nice to spend time with you.